All right, Shabbos say good morning. Let us begin. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Elul. Avram and Shindi coming for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Droshos this month in memory of their parents. Our week of learning sponsors, Ilan and Elise Roth. In honor of joining the shul as a married couple, they are looking forward to being part of our shul community, and we are excited to welcome them. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, uh, Melanie and Milton Gertner, in honor of the birth of a granddaughter, to Shelly and Bobby Dolitsky, Esther Fruma, and as uh, this baby arrived in this world a little bit early, please continue to keep her in your tefillos, and to dive in for a refuah for Esther Fruma, Bas Shoshana Tova. She should have a refuah together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Mostly with that, let us begin. We have a very exciting daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Mem Beis 42. We are picking up the Merit Hashem on 41B. Mem Alif Amad Beis. And we left off, we left off, um, really, well, we'll pick up Lamli the Maymar. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, about 14 lines up from bottom. So also remember again, the Gemara was telling a story about Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lazar ben Azai, Rabbi Akiva, who were coming on a boat, and there was only one lulav. Only one lulav. So if you remember again, the Gemara brought down that story to illustrate the idea that's what? That although there is an obligation of lachem, of exclusive ownership of your lulav on the first day of Yom Tiv, one could accomplish that through the mechanism of a matano. So if I own my lulav, and I go ahead and I convey ownership of that lulav to you, that satisfies the criteria of lachem for you. Not only that, but even if you give what's called a matano al-menas lahachzir. So I go ahead and I give a gift with the express intention that you have to give me back the item. You have to give me back the item. will work as well. The Gemara goes on. By the way, why do you have to say that Rabbi Gamliel bought the lulav for for a thousand zos? By the way, Meishi told me yesterday. I guess he did his uh, Google conversions. Just it's about twenty five hundred dollars. Right, so Matt just only twenty five hundred dollars on your uh, on, on your lulav and esrog. Right, so uh, again, for, I want to point out one is not even mechuyev to do such a thing like that. So why does the Gemara have to say that halacha l'maiser v'lazer Rabbi Gamliel spent a thousand zos l'hodiacha kama mitzvos chavivos alehen in order to show you how precious mitzvos were to these individuals? So again, Gemara is not. It's very important. The Gemara is not telling us how much we need to spend on mitzvahs. The Gemara is not teaching us a halacha. The Gemara is teaching us a hashkafa. How important are mitzvahs to you? You know, say, you know, everyone in life has things that are, that are important to them. And on those things, on those things, I'll spend money. Well, whatever, whatever those things may be. Some people like clothing, some people like vacations, some people like wine, some people like houses, you know, whatever, whatever is important to you is what you spend money on. So the fact that Rabbi Gamliel was willing to spend such an exorbitant amount of money on, on the Lulav and Esther indicates to him, indicates how important Mitzvah, which in general is an interesting hashkafa sahayim, that whatever you're willing to really spend money on ultimately is reflective of your value system in life. You spend money on the things that are important to you. So it's interesting sometimes if we take a little step back and look at our lifestyle, 
What is it that I spend the most amount of money on? And is that truly reflective of my value system? An incredible yisod. So this is very beautiful. Marbar Amemar said to Ravashi, Abba, my father, so this is Marbar Amemar. So Marbar Amemar's father is Amemar. My father Amemar, so Tsaluye Kamatlibe. He would daven holding his little of an esterik. So listen to this, so in other words, so as opposed to us, right? So we go ahead, we t- usually pick up our little of an esterik by halal, right before halal. So apparently Amemar would daven the entire time. Rashi says, Matlibe, because Amemar was so just in love with his lulav, right? Was so in love with the mitzvah, he held it the entire time. So the Lord says, Is that motor? A person should not hold tefillin or should not hold the Sefer Torah while he is davening. While he's davening. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, It's actually interesting, in general, one is not supposed to hold something when they daven. That's also something. Why? The logic is when you're holding something, very often there's a mental preoccupation that's what? You don't want to drop it. You don't want to drop it and ultimately cause it to be damaged. So therefore, again, the Gemara says a person should not hold tefillin, should not hold the Sefer Torah when he is davening. Why? Mental preoccupation, it'll detract from your kavana during davening. The Gemara just adds in other halachas. A person should not go ahead and urinate while wearing tefillin, while holding the Sefer Torah. Below Yishan Bain shouldn't sleep wearing tefillin. We saw this before. Not a, not a longer sleep, a shorter sleep. And Shmuel said, Sakin, holding a knife. Uka'ara, holding a plate or a platter. Kikar, a loaf of bread. Ma'oz, money. Hari elu bahen. So these items are just like a Sefer Torah and Tefillin. In other words, don't carry anything. Don't carry anything. You shouldn't hold anything while you're davening. So because it could detract or distract from your, well, it could detract from your kavana. So I, how could I, Meymar, hold the lulav the entire davening? Bosa, this is a beautiful answer. Hasam lav mitzvah in him. See that Bosa, what the Gemara is describing over there is, there is no mitzvah to hold the Sefer Torah. There is no mitzvah to hold tefillin. There is no mitzvah to wear tefillin. It's learned from the Torah. No mitzvah involved in the holding of these objects. Certainly no mitzvah involved in holding a knife or in holding a platter. Therefore, again, I both say, v'tarid behu. Therefore, because these items do not serve a mitzvah function, or in other words, the holding of these items does not serve a mitzvah function, they are considered to be a distraction. Hocha, over here by Lulav and Estrig, Mitzvah ninhu velo tarid behu. Ultimately, again, these items are a mitzvah, and therefore, lo tarid means a person is not preoccupied, they're not a distraction. Now, what does this mean? This is actually quite beautiful. Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Lav mitzvah ninhu, lo ochzan, vahavira lav lamasa, lefichach tarbamasa, the kavit alav masaam ushmirasam. So ultimately, again, holding a Sefer Torah, holding tefillin, holding a knife, holding a platter, there's no mitzvah involved in these things. So because there's no mitzvah, therefore Rashi says, it's a masa. It's considered to be a burden, right? It's, it's, it's just an item. And because it's an item, a person is preoccupied that he does not want to drop and cause a loss to the item. 
Ha ha, what's different by Lulav? So the Gemara says Lulav is a mitzvah. Rashi says it's so beautiful. Rashi says, Ultimately, again, the taking of the Lulav, right? What he says, the taking of it, Ulikichasa. So also, what's interesting? Nitilasa and Likichasa. So apparently, again, Nitilasa means the initial act of taking it. Likichasa means what? Having it with you on an ongoing basis. That's all part of the mitzvah, which I will say, first of all, is really quite fascinating because in general, we normally assume that what happens with Lulav and Esrik, you pick it up and what? You make a bracha and you don't say, I'm done, do my na'anuim, do my shek, and I'm done. You see from Rashi, you see from the Gemara over here, that there's two elements of the mitzvah. There's Al Natilas Lulav, which is why we make the bracha of Al Natilas Lulav. The mitzvah, the Iker mitzvah, is the taking. But then there is a mitzvah to keep the lulav with you. To keep the lulav with you. And then Rashi says something so beautiful. Because the mitzvah is so near and dear to me, the act of holding the lulav is not considered to be a masa. It's not considered to be a burden. Therefore, there is no preoccupation, so to speak, and therefore, again, I'm not preoccupied. So we'll say, what comes out is as follows. Two, two things. So the Gemara essentially is teaching me like this. You can't hold on to something that has the status of a masa, of a burden. Because if something has the status of a burden, right, of something that you have to slap around, even if it's an important item, like a Sefer Torah, it's fill-in, right? Anything that's a masa, I'm preoccupied with that I don't want to drop it, and therefore that'll detract from my kavanah during davening. Rashi says something so beautiful over here. A mitzvah, because it's beloved onto an individual, is not a masa. A mitzvah is never a masa. A mitzvah is never a burden. And therefore, halacha lemaisa, there is no mental preoccupation. Why is there no mental preoccupation? Because they're both saying, if you think about it like this, a mitzvah and tefillah is chad inyani. It's one thing, right? What's the goal of tefillah? What's the goal of tefillah? It's not to get what you want. It's not the goal of tefillah. The goal of tefillah is connection with the Riban Shalom. It's a dialogue. I'm talking to Hashem. That's the goal. Connection. I just want to come closer. I come closer to someone or to something by conversing with it. I'm talking with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What's the goal of a mitzvah? Connection with Hashem. So therefore, again, a mitzvah is not a masa. A mitzvah is chaviva. A mitzvah is beloved. And because it's beloved, it's not a masa. Holding these other things as important as they are, right? Tefillin is important. Ultimately, I can say for Torah is important. But at the end of the day, these are not mitzvahs. I Meaning holding on to them is not mitzvahs. Therefore, it's a masa. So we'll say, so on a halachic level, the only thing you can't hold on to over the course of davening is something that is deemed a masa. A mitzvah is not deemed a masa. And on a hashkafic level, a very beautiful, beautiful yisod. Terebos said, because a mitzvah is chaviva, by definition, it's not a masa. Right? And isn't that our ikr avoda in life? To make sure that our mitzvahs, that our avodas Hashem is always chaviva and never a masa. Such an incredible yisod. So the Gemara backs up this idea, by the way. And now, by the way, Rashi also introduced us to this idea. There are two elements to the mitzvah of lulav. There is nitilasa 
and likichasa, the initial taking, on the tilas lulav, and then there is the ongoing keeping the lulav with you. So listen to how beautiful this is. Tanya, Rabbi Elazar Bar Tzadik Omer, this was the minog of the men of Yerushalayim. Listen to this. Adam Person will leave his house, and where do you go when you leave your house? You take your lulav with you. You went to shul, right? So first of all, you'd walk out of your house holding your lulav. Okay, that's not such a condition. We do that also, right? So I walk out of my house, I'm holding my lulav. I go into shul. Lulav abiyado. Kore kriyashma, mispalo, lulav abiyado. Both of these are very interesting. Unlike us, who only take lulav, like I said before, by Hallel, the minog of Anshe Yerushalayim is that they would be holding the lulav already from the beginning of davening. From the beginning of davening. Kriyashma, lulav. Shmona Esrei, lulav. Kore batora, venose eskapov. However, when they would, when they would get an aliyah, or a Kohen who was Dochanim, Manicho Agabe Karka. They would put the Lulav down, which is actually very interesting. So the Dochanim, I understand, because the Kohen has to, has to lift his hands and spread his fingers. What about the Kori Batora? So the Kori is very interesting. From here you see the post coming down, from here you see the Rush comments on this, that when you get an Aliyah, you have to hold on to the Sefer. Right, so because you have to hold on to the safer, you have to go ahead and put your lulav and esr down. Mm-hmm. Listen to this: If you go to do bigger cholim, or you go to do nichum avelim, you go to pay a shiva visit, lulav obiyado. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right, you might get some interesting looks when you from the hospital staff when you walk in at the signing desk. But but lamaisa, I get actually I take that back. This is Yerushalayim. Right, such a gullus mentality. Right, so so right. So you walk in, you do nichum. Now also, I, I will tell you what's very interesting about this gemara is: is there any nichum avelim on yamtiv? No. So this is actually an interesting discussion over here that there is. Remember again, one of two scenarios: if somebody died before before yamtiv and they're sitting shiva, yamtiv comes along and cuts off the shiva. If someone died over the course of Yom Div, Shiva is delayed ultimately till after Yom Div. So it's whatever, whatever, so Nichum Avelim could also just simply mean Lav Dafka, real Nichum Avelim, like paying a Shiva visit, but it could mean you're going to, you're going to sit with someone who suffered a loss. Okay, Nichnas Lav Esam Edrish, person goes into Esam Edrish, listen to this. Mishagir Lulavo, Biyad Beno, Biyad Abdo, Biyad Shlucho. When you go to learn, you put your Lulav down. You go to learn, right? You go and you give your lulav to your son, to your servant, to your agent. Ultimately, also, which is really fascinating. Why? Because when it comes to learning, you have to give learning your undivided attention. As much as lulav is not a masa, and you can even hold it during davening, learning requires a heightened level of attentiveness. That even with a mitzvah that's not a masa, put it down. Put it down. That is, it's such an incredible yisod. So for Shema, I can hold my lulav. For Shema, I can hold my lulav. But it comes to the decision, I come to learn that I have to try to be as distraction-free, which, which makes sense because at the end of the day, to carry on a dialogue I could do with a lulav, to learn up a piece of Gemara, to kind of hold cup, you know, in the midst of Svara, that I need attentiveness for. That really needs my undivided attention, which is such... 
which is probably one of the greatest challenges, right, today, of doing anything in life without distraction is incredibly complicated. But you see over here, Anshay Yerushalayim would even put down their beloved Lulav and Esther for the sake of learning. My Kamash Malon, why is this being quoted over here? Lahodi Acha Kama Hayuz Reason B'Mitzvahs. Because it teaches us, it highlights to us how Zor is the Anshay Yerushalayim were with their mitzvahs, that Mamish, they would carry around the Lulav and Esther the entire time. So beautiful. Rabbi Yossi Omer Yomtev. So let's remember again, Rabbi Yossi said in the Mishnah, that halacha lamaisa, if a yomtev, first a yomtev that falls out on Shabbos, and you forgot and you carried your lulav out, you carried your lulav out into Rosh Hashanah, so Rabbi Yossi held that halacha lamaisa, your potter, because you are misasik b'mitzvah, you are preoccupied with the performance of a mitzvah, and that preoccupation exempts you from a chatos, for having carried in Rishos Harabim. To which the Gimar says, Amra Abaye, Abaye says, top of Membeis, Lo Shano Elosh, Lo Yotzabo. That's only true, Rabbi Yossi says, if you did not yet fulfill the mitzvah. Aval Yotzabo Chayiv. But I will say, for example, if you were already Yotzi the mitzvah of Lulav, and what? And what? And then you carried it out, you can't say that you're Mesasek B'mitzvah. Now remember, you could be Mesasek B'likichasa, but where do you perform the Iker Mitzvah of Lulav, right, when you pick it up? Well, actually, well, I'm jumping ahead. So the Gemara says, if you go ahead and you already fulfilled the Mitzvah, you would be Chayiv for accidentally carrying it out into Shrama Shabbos. Gemara says, one second. Once you go to the Mitzvah, But how then do you ever have a case, according to Rabbi where you would be potter from liability? Why, when are you Yotzi the Mitzvah of Dalad Minim? When? As soon as you pick it up. As soon as you pick it up. You picked it up upside down, which is very interesting. You picked it up upside down. So the Gemara says, well, say, now, interestingly enough, the upside down, when you look at the Rishonim over here, so the Rishonim say that this could very well be the Lulav that they're talking about. Now, the truth is, we know our Minog is to take the Esrug upside down because we know that this is the Halacha. This, this probably sparks an entire discussion. The notion that you can go ahead and as soon as you pick up your lulav and esrog, if you pick everything up right side up, you automatically yotze the mitzvah. Now, why is that problematic? If you automatically yotze the mitzvah, what does it pose a problem for? The bracha, right? I can't make a bracha on a mitzvah if I've already been yotze the mitzvah. So that's why we go ahead and we dafka pick up the esrog upside down. So Tosis points out over here, again, we don't have time to get into it, that you see here something very interesting, which is mitzvos inon trichos kavanah. That you see a mitzvah doesn't require kavanah to discharge the obligation. doesn't require specific intent. Because if a mitzvah required kavanah, I can lift up my lulav and esrog, right? And just not have kavanah to be yotzei yet. So you see from the fact that you're automatically yotzei, the mitzvahs don't even need kavanah. Fine. So therefore, again, we have this concept of we lift up the esrog upside down. I'm just pointing out, in the Gemara's model, it's possible that talking about the lulav upside down. It doesn't really matter what you hold upside down. It could be lulav, it could be the esrog, it could be you. You know, whatever it is, as long as something is upside down, right? You're not yotzei the mitzvah immediately. So that could be a case, where you picked it up, you're not yotzei the mitzvah, and then as you walk out, you have everything right side up, that's called misasik ba mitzvah. Rav Amarav says, Rav says, no, it could even be a case where you're holding the esrog or the lulav right side up. What's the case? He go and show Oh, interestingly enough, the case is where you're holding the lulav and esrog in a utensil. In a utensil. 
I v'har, and therefore you're not immediately yotzei the mitzvah. V'harabu hu da'amr l'kichai de'davar achashma l'kichai. Rabbi said we had this daf. I think this was Shabbos his daf that l'kichai al yidei davar acher. That let's say again, you take your lulav and esrig, and you're not holding it. For example, you wrap your lulav in a piece of silk, or you wrap your hands in a piece of silk. That that, that ultimately again you're still yotzei. So even taking the lulav in a kli, one should still be yotzei. Hanimili derech kavod. That's only true if you're taking the lulav derech kavod. In other words, that the item that you're taking the lulav with is something bakavodik. Rashi says kigon besudar shekorech yada besudar, like a like a like a a cloak or a piece of silk. But a kliyav derech bizayon lo. But I will say if you were, let's say for example, put. The, I'll give you a good example of this. Let's say your lulav is in its holder. Right, and you hold the lulav, and you hold the esrog. You're not yotzei the mitzvah like that. Aye, it's the kicha al yedei davar acher. That's not called derech kavod. When Rava says that you could be yotzei with kicha al yedei davar acher, taking the lulav with like an intermediary, that's only true if that intermediary adds kavod to the mitzvah. You wrap the lulav in a piece of silk. You're not holding the lulav directly, but ultimately, again, that's still called the kicha. But taking it in a kli, you won't be yotzei. Amr Afuna, Omer Hayrabi Yosi. So, so therefore, again, that's, this is the sheet of Rabbi, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi holds that when you are misasik ba mitzvah, if you inadvertently violate an avera in the midst of the performance of a mitzvah, that exempts you from liability for that avera. Good. So the Gemara says another example of this. Omer Afuna, Omer Hai Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi gives another example of this. It's actually a very interesting case. He says, Olas Ha'of. Shenim says Bain Agafai. So well, so here's the case. You have a, an Ola Sa'of, right? A, an Ola bird that was found in a pile of Khatas birds. Now these are all these are all slaughtered birds. Right? So remember again, a coin is permitted to permitted to eat a khatas, not permitted to eat an ola, right? An ola is fully consumed on an isbeach. So here's the case. So the coin goes ahead and finds an ola bird in the midst of a pile of chatas birds. And because the ola bird is next to the chatas birds, the coin assumes that what? That what? Ukisavar chatas ha'ufhi va'achla. So the coin understandably assumed that the ola bird was actually a chatas bird because it was in a pile of other chatas birds, and therefore he eats the ola bird. So the consumption of an ola is an avera. So what's ta'alacha pater? Ultimately, in Rabbi Yossi says the coin is pater. The coin is potter, so the Gemara says, "My kamash malon." So what's what's the chiddush over here? The ta'abidvar mitzvah potter. So again, I will say here, the coin is ta'abidvar mitzvah, right? What is ta'abidvar mitzvah? He made a mistake in the course of a performance of a mitzvah. He thought that he was consuming a chatos, which is a mitzvah, but instead he made a mistake. He didn't consume a chatos. Instead, what did he consume? An Ola, and therefore Rabbi Yossi says, anytime you make a mistake in the course of the performance of a mitzvah, you are potter. You are potter. So the Mar says, Hainu hach. Okay, it's the same case. In other words, it, 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 it's, it's a different example, but it's the same principle. No different than walking out into the interstrap Banshab, holding your Lulav and Esrig. Rabbi Yossi said, You're potter because you're misasik bidvar mitzvah. So why do you have to bring this case as well? Ma'adatema, what would you have said? Hasam who did tabid var mitzvah potter haynu da'avid mitzvah. Maybe Rabbi Yossi says that tabid var mitzvah, if you make a mistake in the course of the performance of a mitzvah and you inadvertently commit an avera, you're going to be potter. That's only when 
when you actually performed a mitzvah, like the case of Lulav and Esrig. Well, so what's the case of Lulav and Esrig? It's Shabbos, first day, first day Sukkot. I go ahead and I'm so excited to take my Lulav and Esrig that what happens? I lift it up, walk out of my house, and not even realizing it, transfer my Lulav from my home Rosh Hashayachid into the street Rosh Hashayachid. Isser Daraisa. Rabbi Yossi says, you're potter from liability. Asser, but you're potter from liability. There's no, there's no liability there. Why? Because you were preoccupied with the performance of a mitzvah. Maybe Rabbi Yossi only holds that there's a p'tur in a situation where you actually performed the mitzvah. So in the case of Lulav, you actually performed the mitzvah. In the case of the consumption of the Ola bird, did you perform a mitzvah? No. There was no mitzvah that was performed there. Avahacha, the Tabit var mitzvah, the low avad mitzvah, in the case of the Chantas bird, true, you made a mistake. But not only did you make a mistake, you actually didn't perform any mitzvah. Aimalo, I would have thought that maybe halacha lamaisa, you're not potter. Kamash malon, you are. Kamash malon, Rabbi Yossi has a broader, a broader definition. And he holds, Tabit var mitzvah means, if you made a mistake in the performance of, in the actual performance of a mitzvah, or in what you thought was the performance of a mitzvah, you will be exempt from liability. So, so the Gemara says an interesting case. If a person shechts a tamid that was not mevukar kilchasa, and I both said the halacha is that a tamid, a carbon tamid, have to be taken from a particular pen in the Beis HaMikdash, called the Lishkas HaTlan. We learned this back in Yuma, right? The Lishkas HaTlan had sheep in it. Those sheep were used for the carbon tamid. The halacha was that a carbon tamid is an animal that must be examined for four days prior to its offering. What happens if you took an uninspected animal and you shechted it for carbon tamid on Shabbos? You shechted it for carbon tamid on Shabbos. So what's the halacha? Chayiv chatos. You're chayiv for violating Shabbos inadvertently, and you require another tamid. Now, this is Rabbi Yossi, but I, isn't this ta'abidvar mitzvah? Is this not an example of where a person made a mistake in the commission of a mitzvah, and yet here Rabbi Yossi is subjecting me to liability? What's going on over here? To which the Gemara says, Amrlei bar minadahi. This case is an exception. I'll tell you why this case is an exception. What's the case here? They brought a totally uninspected animal. You see, when you bring a totally uninspected animal and you go ahead and you offer that up as a tamid, you're not even in the ballpark of mitzvah. In other words, both say that would be like, for example, if you were to walk out on the first day of Sukkot, which is Shabbos, holding a celery and a lemon, right? Totally got it on sale. Celery and a lemon, right? Would Rabbi Yossi exempt you from liability because you're Osik B'Tvar Mitzvah? No, why not? You're not in the ballpark. There's no mitzvah involved over there. So the Gemara suggests something very interesting. Using an uninspected animal for carbon tamid, that's not even the mitzvah of carbon tamid. Meaning you're so far away from the mitzvah that you can't be called tamid var mitzvah. So essentially what happens is like this. Rabbi Yossi says... Anytime that you are preoccupied with the performance of a mitzvah and you are preoccupied with a, I should say, with a legitimate performance of a mitzvah, even if you didn't actually perform a mitzvah, 
but you're in the parasha of mitzvah performance, you will be exempt from liability. But if what you did does not even fall within the framework of mitzvah performance, then ultimately, again, that will not exempt you from liability. So for example, if you were to shech a totally uninspected animal for carbon tamid on Shabbos, that animal is not even shayach the carbon tamid. That can't be called osek b'mitzvah. That's not called preoccupation b'mitzvah because that animal is not even subject to ultimately what, what to carbon tamid. You go ahead and you eat a chat, an ola, an ola, because you thought it was a chatas, you're in the ballpark. Ultimately, again, because halacha lemaisa, it's all karbanas. You go ahead and you accidentally carry your lulav out on the first day, yomtiv, which is also Shabbos, that's actual performance of a mitzvah. Those cases, you'll be freed from liability. Good. That's the shita of Rabbi Yossi. Incredible. Mishnah. We'll say incredible Mishnah. Mikabelis isham yad binam yad bailo. Now we're fast forwarding it. I finished with my lulav. I finished with my lulav. So what could I do? What could happen? I can give a woman. Now we'll see why the Mishnah frames this as a woman. A woman could receive the lulav from her son or from her husband and put the lulav back into water on Shabbos. So let's say if you take a look, right? Rashi says over here, Rashi says, Shloichmosh. So apparently, so, you know, I, I think sometimes we're used to like these people often will take their hadasim and their aravas and wrap it up. Again, apparently, Bismarck Gemara, they used to put the entire lulav back in water as well. So you could put your lulav back in water. You could give you, right? A woman could receive the lulav from her husband, from her son, and put it back into the water on Shabbos. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, B'Shabbos Machzirin, Shabbos, on Shabbos you're allowed to return the lulav to water. Beyomtiv Mosifin. Now we'll say now what this means is as follows. On Shabbos, you can go ahead and return the Lulav to water. What can't you do? You can't add water. You can't add water. Alright, now the, well, well, the reason for that is because the act of adding water will have the appearance of tikkun mana, Rashi says. Like you're fixing something. So in other words, if the lulav is already in the water, returning the lulav to that same water doesn't have the appearance of what we call tikkun mana, right? Fixing something. Adding more water has the appearance of a more restorative, restorative process, restorative process, and that's called tikkun mana. San Shabbos, you can return to water but can't add water. Biyamdiv, mosifin, ayyamdiv, you're even allowed to add water. Ubemoid, machlifin, achalamaid, you could change the water. Right, so Shabbos you could return, not add. Yamtiv you could return and add. Chalamayit you could return, add, and even exchange the water. Once a child knows how to shake the lulav, ultimately again he is chayiv to go ahead and take the lulav. Now I will say now, of course, of course, we'll point out that halacha lemaisa. When we say that a katan is chayiv, it means a katan is chayiv midrabanon, and that chayiv, of course, is not on the katan. What that means is. The parent has an obligation of chinuch, has an obligation of, of, of to educate the child as soon as the child knows how to perform the mitzvah. But see, I point out something interesting over here. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, On Chalamaid, there is a mitzvah to exchange the water of the lulav, right? So on Shabbos, I could put it back, but I can't add because it's tikkun mana, right? It looks like I'm repairing something. Yamtiv. I can go ahead and even add, and Chalamayit, I can switch. Rashi just says, not only Chalamayit can you switch, but you have to switch. It's a, not have to, it's a mitzvah to switch. 
We'll say this is actually a very important halacha in general. You know, kind of what ends up happening to offering over yomtiv is by the time you get to chalamayid, right? My aravis, my aravis, like. They're not even on the cholim list anymore, right? They're off the cholim list. That's that's how bad it looks. Let's say there is a mitzvah to make sure that our dalim minim remain hadar over the entire course of yamtiv, right? That that's why that's why that's why Rashi says over here mitzvah lahachlev. Okay, so sometimes it just means you know we have to get an extra set of aravos, extra set of adasim. But the idea is that really the hidra aspect, although biblically one might not require it, but certainly the mitzvah really demands that the Dalit Minim look beautiful over the course of the entirety of Yom Tim. That's why Rashi says that on Chalamayid, there's a mitzvah to switch the water. Keep the Dalit Minim looking fresh. That's a good thing. Good, says the Gemara. So Pshita, so we'll say, so ultimately, again, why does the Mishnah have to say that a woman is able to receive the lulav from her husband or from her son? Why, 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 why a woman? So the Gemara says, Pshita. So it's obvious. Well, of course a woman could receive the from Azra from her son. Listen to this. Remember, is a woman in Lulav and Esrug? No. Why? So the Havamina is because she's not Chayiv, perhaps for her it is Muktza. Perhaps for her it is Muktza. Kamash Malon, that that is not the case. Well, see, it's actually very interesting. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over Imolo, Tilagabo, Ika, Ika, Isritzotl. So the Havamina is that maybe a Lulav and Esuk should be Muktza for a woman. Kamash Malon, Kevam Deroy, Venetilas Anoshim, Toras Kliyalov, Umutra Betiltal Akal. So we'll say, this is actually fascinating. So Rashi says over here, it's not Muktza for her. Now, according to Rashi, why isn't the Lulav Muktza for a woman? So Rashi says, because since men ultimately use a Lulav and Esther, it has the status of a Kli. Because it has the status of a Kli, it's not Muktza even for a woman. So it's fascinating because there seems to be a much simpler answer. Right? Why isn't Lulav and Esther Muktza for a woman? Because even though she is exempt, she could still what? Beyond to the mitzvah. In other words, says, right? Now, what I will point out to remember is, there is a time, of course, where Lulav and Esrug is mukta for everyone, and that's when? That's when? Shabbos. So remember again, we'll see this in tomorrow's stuff a little bit more, but now that we don't take Lulav and Esrug on Shabbos, so remember again, Lulav and Esrug will be mukta on Shabbos itself. So again, that's why the Gemara, that's why the Gemara frames it like this. That even though a woman is not nichu yeves, you might have thought it's mukta for her, kamash malon, it is not. Good. If a child knows how to shake the lulav, he should do so. It's supposed to be a beautiful b'raisa. Turn around. If a child knows how to shake the lulav, he should do so. And again, when we say chayiv, I just want to point out once again, chayiv doesn't mean the child is chayiv. A child is not chayiv in anything. What it means is the parent is chayiv in the mitzvah of chinuch to begin to educate them in the performance of mitzvahs. Lis atif, once a child knows how to wrap himself, chayiv b'tzitzis, he's chayiv to start wearing tzitzis. Lishmar tefillin, if he knows ultimately again how to watch over tefillin. Aviv lo keach lo tefillin, his father purchases for him a pair of tefillin. Yodeh daber, if he knows how to speak, this is beautiful. Aviv lomdo Torah, once a child learn, knows how to speak, the father says, teach him Torah. Ukriyashma, and Shema, Torah Mahi, what does it mean as soon as a child could speak? I have to teach my child Torah. Mahi, Amrav Hamuna, Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe, Morasha Kihilas Yaakov. We'll say, what's the first piece of Torah we teach our, our children? 
Moshe Rabbeinu has commanded us Torah. It is an inheritance. Ultimately, again, for Yaakov, I will say, it always struck me. You know, we're, we're familiar with this Gemara, that the first thing, this is the first piece of Torah we teach our children. Why this? Why this, right? Why, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why Torah Siva Lanu Moshe? It's interesting, by the way. What's, what's missing from this Pasuk? Well, Hashem. Right? Isn't it fascinating that the first piece of Torah we teach our children, ultimately, again, is that Moshe Rabbeinu gave us the Torah's inheritance for all. Because we'll say, do you know what the first thing we teach our children? The first Nikuda we teach our children is that greatness is within reach. Torah Siva Lanu Moshe. Do you know who gave us the Torah? A man. A man. And do you know how Moshe Rabbeinu began? He, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't begin his life with a father who was teaching Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu began his life in the palace of Paro. That's how he began his life. And yet the Moshe Rabbeinu who didn't begin with a father teaching him Torah, ultimately what? Grows up to be that you could be anything and everything you want to be in life. Why? Why? Morasha Kihilas Yaakov. Because you have the greatest inheritance in the world. Which means when you have an inheritance, that means something belongs to you because it's within your family, right? It's bequeathed to you. Torah is yours. As much as you have to be kona it, it's not something that's alien to you that you have to break through in order to get it. It's yours. It's so yours. The first thing we tell our children is that greatness is in your genes. The first thing we tell our children is that look at the man who started in the most ordinary way and made from himself something magnificent. And why? Because Kiddusha is your inheritance. Kiddusha is yours for the taking. The first thing we teach our children is not about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not an Ochi Hashem It's about actualizing their inherent internal greatness. Because if you believe in your capacity to become great, then ultimately, again, there is no telling what you could accomplish in life. Such an incredible yisod. Kriya Shema Mahi. What do we teach our children in terms of Shema? Pasuk Rishon. That's it, right? So that as soon as the child could speak, we teach them Torah. Torah tziva lanu Moshe, Marash Akilas Yaakov, Shema Yisrael Shem Alkeinu, Hashem Echad. Haodeh lishmar gufo. Once a child knows how to watch over his body, in order to maintain bodily cleanliness, ochlin ochlin al gufo taras. So therefore, again, if his body comes in contact with ritually pure food, you could continue to assume that it maintained its ritual purity. Lishmar asiyadav. If it, once a child knows how to keep his hands clean, I, I don't mean keeping his hands clean like, like washing, I mean ritually clean, ochlin ayodav taras, that ultimately, even if he touches taras, you could continue to eat them. Hayodea lishal, once a child is old enough that if you ask him questions, he could answer them in a correct fashion, then ultimately, again, then if a suffix tuma arises, and it's a suffix tuma in Roshas hayochid, Ultimately, again, it'll be Tameh. Birshus Harabim, if there's a suffix, Tumor in Rosh Harabim, Sveikotarabasai. That, that's a general Klarashi point. I learned from Mesecha Sota that whenever you have suffix, Tumor, Birshus Harabim, the halacha is that it is Tahar. Suffix, Tumor, Birshus Hayochid is Tameh. We learned that from Sota. So, what it's just saying is a suffix is generated when you ask a question and a person can't answer what actually happened. So, when a child is old enough that it, normally you can ask him a question, and ultimately, again, he can answer. As soon as he's that age, 
the, these laws of Sophic Toma Bershus Hayochid, Sophic Toma Bershus Harabim kick in. Good. Lifros Kapov, as soon as the child knows how to go ahead and Duchin, talking about a Kohanic child, Cholkin Lutrum Baisagranas. We go ahead and we give him tithes in the granary. The act of dispensing tithes to a coin in the granary was a public affirmation of a person's Kohanic status. So in general with children, now remember again, a, a katan, a katan could go up to Duchen, let's say with his father, katan can't go up to Duchen by himself, but as soon as ultimately again, the coin was old enough to go up and Duchen were comfortable giving, publicly giving him his, his, his chilek in a public from the granary. On the base, hayodea lishchot, this is fascinating. Once this is really fascinating. Once a child knows how to shecht, right? You can go ahead and eat from his shechita, which is really quite fascinating because this is a child. This is a child, so the Gemara qualifies this very quickly. There's got to be supervision in general. First of all, if your child's going to shecht, it's good. It's good to be there, right? Somebody should be watching the kid. But, but, but the idea over here, the Gemara says, is that from a halachic perspective. If the child knows what he is doing, you can actually go ahead and eat from his shechita, assuming that there is an adult supervising above him. Once a child is able to eat a kezayis of grain, this is interesting. Apparently, the waste of a person only becomes, we'll call it, quote unquote, like offensive. Offensive enough that you have to distance yourself in order to go ahead and daven or learn only once a child begins to consume grain, which is interesting. So apparently from, from a halachic perspective, let's say a dirty diaper before a baby begins to consume, we'll call it grain products, ultimately does not have the halachic status of human waste. Interesting. That's only assuming that halach you can eat it bechdeachilas. The child eats it bechdeachilas pras. Amrav chiyavar breder yeva ubegadol afal pisha eni yochal lechol bechdeachilas pras. But uh, an adult. So again, when it comes to the waste of an adult, so all of the halachos governing waste, namely that you can't daven or you can't learn within daladamus of it, apply even if the adult does not eat grain bechdeachilas pras. The chsev is actually interesting. Yosef Das Yosef Machol, which literally means quoting over the Pasuk from Koheles, he who increases knowledge or increases, yeah, increases knowledge, increases his pain. That apparently, again, there's this idea that the older we get, the older, now it's interesting, the Gemara is explaining pain over here, somehow related to the offensiveness of one's waste. So the idea is that, bottom line, is that the waste of an adult will always trigger the halachos of harchaka, needing to distance yourself. Whether the adult goes ahead and consumes grain, doesn't consume grain, but with a baby, with a child, only once the child begins to consume grain products does the waste take on the halachic status of waste and therefore would require one to distance oneself, dalit amis, from it in order to dive, in order to learn. Of course, once there's an odor, anytime that there's an odor, that by definition triggers the obligation for our chakra for distancing. But we'll say in general, by the way, that this pasuk of Yosef Das, Yosef Macho, is actually an incredibly profound pasuk, right? That when you increase wisdom, you increase pain. I think we all relate to this, that the older we get to in life, and supposedly the wiser we become, 
the more overwhelming and difficult life becomes. Right? So sometimes, again, you know, the, the simplicity, and this is part of the beauty, it's interesting, it's part of the beauty sometimes in, in children and in older people as well. That sometimes, you know, when the das becomes a little bit, a little bit diminished, a little bit diminished, so it's almost as if the lack of das sometimes takes a little bit of the edge off life. It's an interesting so We think that we become wiser, we become more empowered, and life becomes better. And in certain respects, that's true. Except Shlomo Amalek said, sometimes the greatest happiness in life is in the, simple, is in the simplicity of life. Sometimes when you don't know as much, and you don't know everything, or you don't know everything that you already know, sometimes life just becomes so much easier to live. Interesting so more to talk about that, but a different shit. Yachol lechol kezayis tzli. Shelton alav asapesach. Once a child knows how to eat a kezayis of tzli, of roasted meat, he can go ahead and you could you could shecht you could shecht from he could be included in a chabura for pesach. Shnei amar ish lefi achlo. I'm Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda. Omer ach yachol levar achilo. So Rabbi Yehuda says, no. When could he be included ultimately as part of a chabura for carbon pesach? When he knows how to choose food, what does that mean? When if you put before you know, a piece of food and a stone, and he throws away the, the stone and he eats the piece of food, that's when he's old enough ultimately to be included for a chabura for Pesach. Well, see, I just say something very interesting. You know, the Gemara says over here that halacha once the child knows how to go ahead and keep his body clean, his father should get him tefillin. Right? And in fact, I just want to point out, that's how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, right? That's how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins in, in Arachayim, right? In the, he says, right, the, the Gemara says, Lashon over here of once he knows how to go ahead and Lishmar Tefillin, once he knows how to watch Tefillin. But really what it's saying over here is he knows how to watch Tefillin, but he also knows how to watch over his body because Tefillin requires a Gufnaki. And in fact, this is actually interesting. The Ramah, this is how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, the Shulchan Aruch says in Simon Lamed Zayin Sif Gimel, Katan Hayodel Lishmar Tfilin Betara, Chayiv Aviv Liknos Lo Tfilin Lachancho. That's how Shikhar Paskins. In other words, that once a child knows how to go ahead and A, watch his Tfilin, and B, make sure that he maintains a clean body, his father is obligated to get him Tfilin and for him to wear Tfilin. So the Ramah comments and the Ramah says, The high cut on Shuben Yud Gimel Shanav Yomachad, Vichay Nagovein Lasharas. The Ramah says, But our Minagiz, we don't start till the boys bar mitzvah. We don't start till the boys bar mitzvah. Since it's hard to keep a clean body, we don't start until the child is actually chayv. So interesting. So the Mechaber says, Pasuk is like the Gemara. As soon as the child is old enough and mature enough to keep a clean body, watch over his tefillin, his father is obligated him to get him tefillin. Ramah, we wait till, we wait till bar mitzvah. Now interestingly enough, the, the, the Magen Avram brings down over here that the Minog today is to even begin two or three months before Bar Mitzvah in the, in the wearing of Tefillin, right? And the Magen Avram says, in order to go ahead and get the child accustomed to the Tzatzolan. Mm-hmm. So I'd say something very interesting. In the, in the Sefer Minag Yisrael Torah, he quotes that by the Hasidim, by many of the Hasidim, they don't start putting on Tefillin early. They mamish only start at bar mitzvah itself. Why? What's, what's the reason for that particular minag? I know we don't have time for this, but I just have to tell you this. I think it's so incredible. Listen to this. He says, he says over here that, when a boy puts on tefillin, 
right? Margish You know, remember the first time we put on tefillin. It's such an overwhelming and beautiful experience. So by the Hasidim, they have the following hashkafa, that, that when you do something for the first time, silly for the first time, there's such an incredible aura, such an incredible awakening, and such an incredible excitement about it. And then what happens? What happens? It wears off. So by the Hasidim, hashkafa is that the first time you actually perform the mitzvah, it should be with the highest elevation, the highest level of Kiddusha. So they dafka wait until the first day that a young boy is actually chayiv in the mitzvah. Because the fear is, if you start a month, two months, three months beforehand, what happens? You roll around to bar mitzvah and what happens? You're just like everyone else. Right? And life goes on as usual. Which I will say, such an incredible, there's more to say this, we don't have time, such an incredible yisot about kind of, and here you only talk about two or three months. What happens over two or three years? Right? And this links back to what we saw before, that the whole idea of a mitzvah is that a mitzvah should never become like a masa, should never become like a burden. And how part of our avoda is to keep the freshness and to keep the excitement and to keep the love in our mitzvahs. Again, because if by the chassidim they're concerned after two or three months that by mitzvah boy loses the excitement, what happens after two or three years? What happens after 20 or 30 years? But that becomes our avoda to keep the freshness, to keep the excitement, to keep the love in our mitzvahs day after day. Hadrun Allah, Lulav Hagazo. New Mishnah. Lulav Arava Shisha Veshiva. Very quickly. We have a whole minute. Good. Lulav Arava Shisha Veshiva. So we'll say again, it's, it's actually it's a quick Mishnah. And Howard Davins very quickly. So we're gonna so we're gonna be fine. He'll say so again. So I want to point out over here something very interesting. The Mishnah is gonna tell us about when the different mitzvahs of the day apply. So Lulav Arava Shisha Veshiva. So Lulav and Arava, now we don't know what this Arava is, but what we do know is they circled the Mizbeach of the Beis Hamikdash with the Arava. So Lulav and Arava, sometimes it's six days, sometimes it's seven days. Halal Vasimcha, the recitation of Halal. Simcha, which means the consumption of meat and wine on Yom Tiv. Shmona, that applies for eight days, because remember we're including Shmini Yatzeros over here as well. Sukkah, Benisach Hamayim, sitting in the Sukkah. Benisach which is the water libation. Shiva, seven days. Hachalil, Chamisha, the playing of the flute, and again, we'll discuss where this comes up. Five days. I'm sorry, Chamisha Vishisha, five or six days. Lulav Shiva, how do you ever come up with Lulav seven days? Very simple. If the first day of Sukkot falls down on Shabbos, Lulav Shiva, then you take Lulav for seven days, because as we saw before, Midor Aisa, the mitzvah of Lulav applies even on the first day of Shabbos. Ushar Yomim Shisha, the rest of the dinner, if Shabbos falls out, on any other day other than the first, we don't take Lulav on Shabbos. Arava, Shiva. How does Arava come up for seven days? Ketzad. Yom HaShvi'i Shal Arava, Shechalios B'Shabbos. Arava, Shiva. If the seventh day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, then you take the Arava. We'll see what the Arava service is. But if the seventh day, Oshachal Yom Shisha, but again, any other day that Shabbos falls out, you won't take the Arava. Mitzvahs, Lulav, Kate. So, right, we'll, we'll stop over here. We'll pick up Amir Tzashem with the mitzvahs. quite beautiful. This description over here of how we fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav on Shabbos in the Mikdash. Amir Tzashem, to be continued. Shabbos,